Live at 5 Sports with Todd and Suhan, brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Well, Jim, we're recording this at about 1230, so we don't know for sure. But it sure seems as though all indications were that Joe Maurer would be just the third catcher in history to be going into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Boy, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, I expect it to happen. Again, we're talking ahead of time here. I expect it to happen. The nice fallback is that for some reason he barely misses this time. He'll be he'll make it next year, but I think he's going to get in this year. I think he's deserving. There just aren't that many catchers in history who've done what he's done. Combination of silver sluggers, gold gloves, uh, batting titles, an MVP, and you know the only way to really knock Joe as a Hall of Fame candidate is to penalize him for what he did uh, when he was in the seasons when he was injured and the seasons after uh, his injuries kind of sapped his power and made him just kind of a single-sitting first baseman. Uh, the other thing is, Roy Smalley and I have talked about this in our podcast a lot, I think the other thing that plays into his de- late career decline was the Metrodome was the perfect ballpark for him. Uh, he could hit line drives that would make it over the fence. He had a, if he had a line drive to a gap, it was going to scoot through for a double or a triple. If he had a hard ground ball in the infield, it had a very good chance of going through on that concrete. And then they go to target field, and the ball's not carrying. The big right center field wall means you could yank the ball really hard to right center, and the best you're going to get is a double. Um, and the grass was soft. His ground balls got eaten up a little more often. His balls to the gap turned into singles instead of doubles. I mean, that also had a major effect on his statistical profile. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I love your column today. It, it lays out several items about Maurer. And uh, one from his youth. Uh, can you share that a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I I did a couple of really big pieces on Maurer during my mm-hmm. career, and one of them I just talked to, like, everybody who knew him, and all his family, friends, his best friends, people he grew up playing baseball with, and his brothers, Jake and Bill. And one of the stories they told me is that, you know, Joe, Joe they, they all knew that Joe was going to be great. Mm-hmm. And so they felt like they needed to coach him toward greatness every day of his life. So they'd take him to a, his little league or traveling league or whatever, a sandlot baseball game, and, you know, Joe would go four for five and, and, uh, and you know, throw eight runners out, and then they'd go home and have family dinner. And while they're eating, you know, the father, the mother, who was an excellent softball player, by the way, mm-hmm. probably the best athlete in the family other than Joe, <laughs> um, father, the mother, uh, Bill, and Jake would just – yell at Joe the entire time, why would you call a curveball on a hitter who can't catch up to the fastball? Why didn't you get your glove over and block that? They would just scream at him, basically. And Joe would just kind of nod and eat his food and just kind of, as I said, digest it all. Yeah. So that's what kind of toughened him up. They 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 knew that he would need to be uh, uh, tough and, and needed to know everything about it. And he, even back then, he just kind of took it in stride like he did all through his major league career. Yes, and it might be one of the reasons he's such a stoic. Yeah. You know, he just he just always good or bad, he just kind of took everything in stride. That was and you know, sometimes sometimes during a player's career when you're frustrated how they're performing, you can you can read things as a negative, but I really think his calm is one of the reasons he was a great hitter. I called one of his games when he was in I, I want to say it was Babe Ruth or VFW baseball. He was 15 or 16 years old in St. Cloud playing in the state tournament when Wilmer played against them and he hit two home runs against us. The thing that I noticed is he was so much bigger than every other kid on oh, the God. field. You know, he's just a giant out there and so smooth athletically. I mean, he made everything look so graceful. Yeah, it, it's 
people might not remember this. He's like six five, six six, like two hundred forty pounds, and he interesting body too because he did he didn't have like the massive biceps you see from so many power hitters. He just had the you know big trunk, big thighs, big butt, um, and you know certainly uh, a decent sized upper body. But you know he never went the bulk up my upper body route. He he cared much more about flexibility and and maneuverability and agility and that's what he really worked hard at yeah so uh hopefully uh, today by the time this has aired uh joe mauer will uh, already be in the hall of fame only two other catchers uh on the first ballot uh what was it pudge rodriguez and uh johnny bench oh uh, johnny bench right yeah, uh, that's amazing yogi bear didn't get in first ballot. i know right years. Yeah. absolutely a first ballot hall of famer <laughs> yeah that's right but what great company if he indeed pulls that off Yes, uh, and I think it's deserved, um, and you know, there's a lot of internet debates about Joe, but I think we need to see the big picture here. Uh, his accomplishments carry the day. No, everybody loved Joe until he signed that massive contract, and everybody criticized Joe after that. Uh, well, but it, it, it was terrible timing because three things happened at once. Yeah. Like four things happened at once. He had the career year, the contract drive year of all time, mm-hmm. uh, 2009. Remember, he missed the first month of the season. Then he goes on to hit like 29 homers in five months, yeah. wins the MVP, absolute dominant performance. Then he gets the big contract. Then they move into target field. And then, you know, he, was, he had an okay year in 2010. Then he gets hurt in 2011. Uh, then Guardy calls it bilateral leg weakness, which was not a thing, yeah. which led to everybody thinking that he was somehow jaking it. Mm-hmm. And everything just went downhill from there. It's a shame because, you know, Joe Maurer going to the target field to play in his hometown, that should have been a, a lasting great story. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, was that. And, you know, again, poor luck for the Twins. I mean, the M&M boys, Justin Morneau, Joe Maurer, back-to-back uh, MVPs, and then they both have their careers savaged by injury. Yeah, and, uh, and Morneau... At the time he got hurt, the knee to the head, 2010, he yeah. was having a better year than he had when he was the MVP of the league, yeah. and he was a twice as better hitter in terms of science. Joe, Justin Morneau, when we first met him, we all thought he was kind of, I hate to say it, not that intelligent. He barely <laughs> spoke. Um, and by the time he got to 2010, he might have been the smartest hitter in baseball. He mm. was setting pitchers up, which hardly anybody can do. It's, it's, it's such a tragedy that it, that it happened to him. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I'm going. I'm talking. Uh, well, as this is airing earlier today, I talked with Cal Soderquist of the Timberwolves. But I have to ask you about the comments of Chris Finch in the post game last night. I mean, he was looking for as strong a rhetoric as he could use to rip his team last night. Yes, uh, part of it. I think he was truly angry. Partly, I think he thinks this is the time to jump on them when they lose a game like that at home. Uh, wake them up. Make them realize that you're really playing for the number one seed. You can't have lapses. Uh, I will say that I agree with him completely uh, criticizing the defense. They didn't play any perimeter defense. They got broken down. Uh, they let Charlotte have every shot they wanted. And NBA teams are just too good. These guys are too skilled for you to give them open shots. So I agree with him completely on the defense. Uh, him saying that they were like all trying to pad Carl's stat line on a night he scored 62. Mm. I'm sorry, he was the only guy scoring efficiently. Yeah. Uh, you know, go, listen, Gobert was dunking, uh, but he wasn't shooting. He was dunking. Yeah. Uh, other than Gobert dunking, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was off the bench was the only guy who had a decent shooting night. Uh, Towns made 67% of his threes, 60, 60% of his shots from the floor. Uh, you know, he, he missed more free throws than he usually misses, and he got fouled at the end 
and it didn't get called. I mean, yeah. that, that should have been like a 65, 66 point uh, game for him with him shooting free throws to, to tie it or win it at the end. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns' offense was not the problem last night. He was unbelievable, hitting his first seven threes and and the like. But Anthony Edwards was basically a you know he was giving the ball to Towns and going and standing in the corner in the first half, uh, which was unusual. Yeah, well, he he was listed as questionable with an illness before the game. Mm-hmm. So I think so. I would give him credit. He he could have easily taken that game off. He wanted to play. Uh, he pl- he made an effort on defense. I, I don't know if he played great defense, but he certainly put in the physical effort on defense. And offensively, I think he did look at that as a game where, hey, I'm just going to facilitate because I don't have my legs. And he had a bunch of assists. So I'm really not going to knock him. Uh, I thought they, you know, and this is, hey, this is a night where they thought Mike Conley really needed a rest. They generally don't load manage, but he looked just so beat up and tired in the last game. They gave him Monday night off. And if Mike Conley plays, I bet they win that game. Yeah, he's he's the leader. It it sure looks like that. I mean, Edwards is the best player. Uh, you know, Towns might be the most explosive offense player, but Conley's the leader on this team, isn't he? No doubt. Yeah. Uh, he just understands what needs to be done in the moment. He plays his best in fourth quarters. He organizes the team. He he and he also has the uh, cachet and respect of everyone enough that he now he and Kyle Anderson are the two leaders, mm-hmm. uh, and those two guys. Because of the way they play, they command respect because they're not out there just looking for their, themselves. They're not looking for points. They're trying to play the right way. And those two guys probably have the most meaningful voices in that locker room. Jim, thanks so much. Thanks, Todd. Live at 5 Sports of Todd and Suhan. Brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Cardinal Girls basketball tonight. Rambo pregame coverage at 7.